This episode of the Cinema Vention Podcast is brought to you by Rotting Wonk, RozJ001, Jack Wolf, and Wearmall 3. If you want to become one of the names listed, go support the show today at patreon.com slash wscottis1. Hi, I'm W. Scott is one, and I have not seen the movie Children of Men. Uh-oh, we found another movie Willie hasn't seen. This calls for an intervention. A Cinemavention. Don't get cute. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinemavention podcast, where we review and discuss classic movies that I should have seen long ago. Today, we'll be discussing the movie Children of Men, which my guest has seen before. He is the host of the Emergent Beacon channel on YouTube. I'm so happy to welcome Brant Hughes. You might know him in the chat room as Gatawag. Brant, how are you doing, man? Hi, that's me. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie with you. And um, this uh, this came yeah. as a recommendation uh, from you, so I'm I'm very excited to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. So we're gonna uh, do, start off by doing that. I like to always start out each episode by going over the stats of the movie real quick, just so we have a good idea of what we're working with. So Children of Men is available for rent or purchase on DVD and Blu-ray in physical stores, as well as on all major internet distributors. It is not, however, available to stream, at least in the U.S. as of right now. Uh, if that changes, just check justwatch.com, and that will always have the updated information. Uh, Children of Men was released by Universal Pictures on Christmas Day, December 25th, 2006 in the U.S., and September 22nd, 2006 in the U.K., uh, the movie was directed by Alfonso Caron <laughs> and stars Clive Owen, Julianne Moore, Michael Caine, Chuatel Ejiofor, Charlie Hunman or Hun Hunnam, sorry, and Claire Hope Ashati. Uh, the movie had a budget of seventy six million and made seventy point five million in theaters, so just just barely didn't quite make it uh, in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it made up made up its money though. Um, and the uh, on in the on demand and you know video rental service services. Uh, Brant, do you remember when you first saw this movie? I'm assuming probably in theaters, right? No. So, oh. 2006, I would have been a freshman in high school, um, and I was not I was not cultured in movies enough to uh, to have heard about it. Um, so I definitely saw it before 2010. It would have been probably 2008 2009. Um, and, uh, I had just not long before seen, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I'm aware you have not seen. I have not. Um, No. But it is, uh, it is a movie that is very dear to me and it really opened my eyes to what movies can do to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first time I was like, oh, movies can be smarter than me. Movies can like enrich in my life. And there's a diversity of experience in movies. Um, and so after I had seen that, uh, I just wanted to watch a bunch of movies. So I ended up watching a new movie every one to three days for multiple years. Um, so I just like soaked up as much as I could. And this was uh, early in the run of that. Interesting. Um, and it was, yeah, it had a, it had a big effect on me. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So you, um, you, you and me are kind of similar on that. And we're like, I'm, 
it I'm more just going over movies now uh, as opposed to when you were back um back in 06 07 when you cuz it sounded like if, and correct me if I'm wrong but it sounded like um you hadn't seen a whole lot of movies up until that point as well just like I have Absolutely yeah I had seen you know I would I I, I would see these specific really big movies like sure lord of the rings came out my dad was like you have to see lord of the rings mm-hmm. when the matrix came out my dad was like you have to see the matrix mm-hmm. but we didn't really go to the movie theater much and i watched a bit of tv but i didn't watch movies a whole lot sure. I, I kind of thought of movies as like big dumb blockbuster movies because mm-hmm. that's really all i've been exposed to at the time fair enough yeah no that makes sense though yeah I don't know. Like it, to me, it was more of a situation of, you know, for me, it was like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch a whole lot of movies because of my upbringing. So um, so that was kind mm. of um, I mean, and, and also partly because, you know, I just, you know, who has time to sit down and watch an hour and a half, two hour movie? Not me. <laughs> you know, like that was kind of sort of my sure. mentality on everything. But, uh, you know, over time, I, I, I think I have I'd like to say I kind of, you know have my 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 palate has been uh, to to borrow a phrase from when you drink for the first time my palate has uh has been refined i suppose you could say in terms of uh my cinema viewing i guess nice so, yeah yeah so uh so let's talk about this movie um and i will oh, say let's... it's interesting um that it it it's interesting how many things they got right because uh, because this movie is takes place in the future, although it's interesting um, because when back when this movie was released in late 2006, early 2007, you know, it, you know, 2027 seems like so far away back then, you know, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> you know, that's only four years away for us now. You know, yeah. like we are yeah. we are four years away from 2027 here. And this movie specifically takes place in November 16th of 2027. Like it's, it's crazy how close we are to that actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but with any movie that takes place primarily in the, uh, in the future here, I always have to, you know, analyze, you know, not just the technology, but also sort of like the trends and, you know, see if they got it right. Or, you know, in this case, it's, will they get it right in the future? You know, we've done this with, um, with the fifth element, we've done this with back to the future, We've done it for a lot of movies, and um, and so we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about these spe- specific aspects first. And the first one is it's <laughs> scary how accurate this is <laughs> because yes, they might have been uh, about twelve years early on it a little bit, but the concept is still right when they talk about. T- in 2008, there was a flu pandemic, and I and I'll tell you what when I heard that line, I was just like okay <laughs> like it's yeah, what it's, a called shot right yeah it's so it's so close to uh to COVID, right yeah and and uh, there are a couple of aspects of that that are especially close to COVID. something that you know at the time like a uh, flu pandemic was sort of being used metaphorically i mean it, it happens in the narrative of the film but like it's a metaphorical device that pushes us towards this dystopian future right um but it gets like some really weird specifics down. So for one, um, it's sort of implied that this flu pandemic is the cause of the infertility because the infertility happens like a year later or something like that. Mm. Um, now with COVID-19, we've seen that 
it can affect infertility. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a very real thing. And that's, that's not even mentioning other viruses that can affect fertility. Um, like, uh, like herpes and, uh, uh HIV and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's just a fascinatingly, it, it feels so like close to home now where it's like, oh yeah, th- like I could imagine there being, um, some strain of one of these viruses that just for whatever reason latches on to fertility and it spreads across the globe. Mm-hmm. We, we, we see how uncontained and unprepared we are for an event like that. And if it happened to affect our ability to reproduce and have kids, that could be deeply devastating and world ending mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, um, and I don't think anyone suspected, like, even in 2019, right, that, like, you know, because when that was written into the movie, some uh, that would probably be like, oh, that's a dystopian thing. Like, that'd be several years down the line. We don't have to worry about that, right? But um, <laughs> but it's, you know, with COVID-19 now, it's just, like, everything is just, yeah, like, it, it makes that line more scary uh, <laughs> the more I, uh, the, mo- the more I watch, the more I listen to it, you know, and, like, after i after watching this post covid i'm like ooh <laughs> it's yeah. a little harder you yep. know <laughs> um, yeah and yeah uh they also get another thing really specifically right i would say about you know kind of uh, this big pandemic thing which is um you know we we saw firsthand how eager people are to normalize things to be like oh we're we're getting back to normal it's fine mm-hmm. it's actually not a bit like today people are being killed by the pandemic we are what three years in yep uh and like if you walked out if if, if you time traveled from 2006 when this movie came out to today you probably might not realize that there was a global pandemic and we are still in it mm-hmm. um, like that's how eager we are to get past it and we see this in the film where, you know, there there is tragedy everywhere you look in this movie, right? Like uh, the movie starts off with uh, Theo going to get coffee and almost dying from a terrorist bombing from his government right? on that coffee shop. And you know what happens? He goes straight to work. Yeah. He goes right. He goes right back to work as if nothing happened. Yeah. He walks, he walks by people in cages and he doesn't even take a second glance at him. Yep. All he's worried about is getting back to normal. He's just on the daily grind. This is just what it's like to live in this world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, I didn't even consider that, but yeah, (laughs) that's absolutely true. It's like, it's almost like uh, people have been, um, desensitized to to everything right and you could very much say that that is the case in a lot of aspects in life today as a matter of fact sure yeah i mean this this could also serve as a metaphor for you know uh homelessness in america Mm -hmm. where it's like oh you if you live in a city every single day you see people in need and it's so easy to just eyes straight forward pretend like it's not an issue Mm -hmm. and you know, the, this movie really shows, I, I think for me, that's one of the primary themes of the movie, which is that people who are good um, and, and th- we, we, could, we could talk about how good Theo is, but people sure. who are good, 
who are in bad systems mm-hmm. can be led to do bad things. Yeah. But we we always have that agency to be able to transcend that, right? So Theo, mm-hmm. who is jaded and is just coasting through life at this point, he is in a bad system. He is in a world that has fallen apart. His son is dead. His wife has left him. Um, things are pretty rough for Theo. He's kind of given up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, we know that he, he used to, he used to fight injustices, but now he's, he's given up on that. He's just, he's part of the system now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in an extraordinary circumstance, he's able to transcend that. He's able to actually do something with his life. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and on that note, actually, yeah, you mentioned, uh, Theo, um, he, he basically is part of the system. And what we mean by that, of course, is that he is working for the Ministry of Energy, which is, you know, basically our Department of Energy here in the States. Like they just call departments ministries across the pond there. Um, and what's int- the other thing that they got absolutely right is the fact that he, um, you know, he, he hears that um, news story on the news. Speaking of um, being in that coffee shop. And they they were talking about like the last child like on Earth has has died. Um, Big with, Diego, yeah, right. Which, by the way, I love how instead of paying to use the BBC name, the channel is called BCC instead. That was pretty clever on their part. Sure, yeah. But that's um, always a fun thing to see yeah. in movies where you know they've got a bag of like Pringles and it's like Prongles or something. <laughs> right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, uh, but the thing that got so right is he asked his boss. If he can, you know, just work from home today, which is crazy, right? Because I don't think like, you know, that certainly was not as widespread at the time in 2006 when this movie came out. Right. But it certainly is now. Right. And probably still will be a thing, you know, in 2027, you know, it really realistically, thanks to the pandemic, like that is way accurate. Right. Sure. Yeah. And we don't. We, we don't actually see him work from home, but mm-hmm. um, it, it is it is kind of an interesting situation where it's like, you know, he's he's just been through something really traumatic. Um, he's probably in shock, if I had to guess, or sure. he should be. Um, and it's interesting that he doesn't feel comfortable sharing that with his boss. He still has to show up to work, but he's like, instead of that, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm real sad about baby Diego. Even though we find out in the next scene that he hates Baby Diego, he thinks that guy's <laughs> a dumbass. Um, and uh, it's it's interesting how how the world is so captive with this like uh, this like celebrity of the youngest person that it's just like a, a, a lower resistance excuse to get out of work to be like, hey man, like I, I'm real sad about this this random guy dying. So uh, can I can I leave? Yeah, the excuse was kind of a little bit lackluster, probably. But you know, it's still. But, but you um, also you yeah. also see everybody else in the 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 Ministry of Energy, like they are all crying at their desks. Sure, like this is this is something that even though it doesn't affect him, uh, it has affected a lot of people. We see murals and people leaving flowers. Like mm-hmm. people are really distraught at the idea of this this celebrity who's taken the mantle of world's youngest person mm-hmm. uh, dying. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just like a symbol to them, you know, so sure. it like really holds something over them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that got right about the uh, future is um, 
So the the heads up display in the car that they're driving is interesting because I feel like I definitely have seen a vehicle that is somewhat similar to that. Like it has a similar sort of like, you know, displaying of the information, like, I don't know, sort of like a, uh, like it, it, it seemed like a, almost like a projectable display or sort of like a reference to mm-hmm. AR or something like that. Um, and and I because the example I could come up with is the fact that, you know, people have been trying to put like like project keyboards onto desks for years so that we're just typing on the physical desk instead of a real keyboard. You know, I don't sure. think those are ever going to catch on, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you don't get the you don't get the tactile feel. I've got a I've got a mm-hmm. mechanical keyboard. And, you know, I love having the I love having the mechanical switches where it's like, yeah, you can you can attenuate how how much resistance it gives. And like there's there's a nice feeling that helps you type better that you don't get with one of those yeah. projected keyboards. Absolutely. Yeah. So but but the idea is still is still the same, though. But not only mm-hmm. that, but what's more what's what's more interesting is the fact that there is a backup camera installed on this car. And sure, there were some cars that perhaps maybe had it back then. But eventually, um, it kind of became a requirement to be included in the following year since then. Um, specifically, I was looking this up in May on May 1st, 2018 is when it officially became mandated in the U.S. that all cars were required to have them. Um, so so, yeah, so so the fact that it has a backup camera like that's, you know, that's also an accurate um, thing, right? And I, I think in Jasper's car, there might have even been like um, sort of like cameras around perimeter of the uh, of the car. So you don't just see behind you. You kind of even see like around you, which is also something that it that is real now. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've only seen it a little bit here and there. Um, but the, the, the thing I really love about this example is uh, it, it's really indicative of how Afonso Coron uh approached uh an idea of the future which is you know this this sort of trend i i call future realism um where it, there's some projections of of current day technology but then it is applied like they factor in obsolescence so they're like mm-hmm. this is like future tech that is run down this is future tech uh from 5 years before the 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 time of the film um, so like people have used it and they've not been able to upkeep it. Uh, movies like Looper do this really well as uh, also, mm-hmm. um, where it's just like, oh, everything is like run down and like used. Um, and I, I feel like it just makes it feel really, uh, authentic and genuine and lived in, um, because they, they could have done more with the cars, right? If they, sure. if they wanted to, they could be like, oh yeah, there's, there's not wheels anymore. It floats. Yeah, <laughs> it's a flying I mean, yeah. Car. Back, back to the Future Part Two is uh, is a good yeah. example of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it runs on a fusion engine. You just throw some banana peels in there, and it fuels it. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, like you still have to you still have to fuel it up, but like it's got cameras on it. You know, like it's like really incremental steps that feel uh, like it is limited by the, uh, the economics of that world or something like that. It sort of yeah. applies a constraint to it more than just your imagination. Well, and also like, well, cause I, I guess the other thing they couldn't really predict is the fact that, you know, electric cars would become not only, um, more popularized by this point, but also kind of, um, they, they, a lot of car manufacturers are now 
heading to electric cars only in the future. Now, granted, that's still a couple, you know, that that's still a couple of years away from that. But um, but yeah, I mean, but you could still conceivably see a world where where cars are still being fueled by gasoline, you know, four years from now, you know, even if electric sure. cars become like the de facto standard, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just to further your point on that, for sure. Um, one thing that they perhaps maybe didn't get right, though, <laughs> was the fact that they uh, apparently in this universe, they're still selling newspapers out on the newspaper stand. But I love how it had like the screen in front of it to advertise it, though. <laughs> so they modernized yeah. it in that way. Right. But, um, you know, it's like not only is that not really a thing anymore, but like the few newspapers that still do print are kind of just limited to those, you know, automatic newspaper stands where you just put in the quarters and, and then you open it basically but not only that like most people are just kind of getting their news like either the whole paper or just article by article like online these days you know so didn't mm-hmm. really quite get that one right i don't think <laughs> yeah but um but it's fun oh yeah it's no it is <laughs> yeah for sure um the other thing that they couldn't i i won't even say that they got it necessarily wrong it's just that they couldn't have anticipated this the smartphone because you know the iphone wouldn't be announced and released until the following year this movie came out and i think if they had made this movie like maybe two years later they would have had like an iphone um in there and it would have been prominent to the storytelling you know well also notice i don't think there's a single phone in the entire movie no like like any phone um true and i have I have a little bit more to say on this later, but okay. I think th- there there might be a reason for that. Um, but even if there isn't, I think it's an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, just that like any sort of communication that happens in the movie happens face to face. It never happens remote. Yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah. Say that for later. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. So I uh, I was mentioning earlier, like we were I, I we were comparing other movies. Like um, I I I I like to compare other movies that we've covered on this show to this one, and this one definitely drew a lot of parallels for me. Um, you know, this underground club of people, um, the fishes. By the way, yeah, I I didn't even they only mentioned this group like a couple times. I had to look it up that it was the fishes. That was this, you know, underground club that was ran by um, Julian, which is Theo's ex-wife, who, by mm-hmm. the way, they kidnap him for this mission, right? You know, and they because they need his help uh, to um, to get the immigration papers or whatever. But they <laughs> but they have to resort to kidnapping him in order to get him to uh, <laughs> to agree to do it, which I thought was interesting. It kind of reminded me of Fight Club almost, you know. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a valid reference point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They, I, I, I feel like they, they had to kidnap him as, as sort of a compromise, right? Cause Julian, uh, trusts him because mm-hmm. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they had a kid together. They, you know, were in a relationship for a long time. Sure. Um, but no, nobody, none of the other fishes trust him because they have no reason to. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's sort of like a, a thing where Julian would probably just approach him and talk to him. But like as a compromise, they're like, okay, well, let's like take him to an undisclosed location and let's talk to him there. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and Theo and Julian, of course, have more than just you know them be, um, being in a relationship together as sort of like you know history together. You know, we were saying that they were both kind of activists back in the day, 
Um, mm-hmm. From what I understand, basically, that was kind of their whole thing was they were trying to protect immigrants in Europe, um, among other causes, I'm sure, right? Because, you know, presumably at that time, it would it would have been like, you know, the <laughs> the popular thing to do back then, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is the fact that the the news report on BCC when Julian dies in the movie, it's sort of they portray her as a terrorist leader, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And so th- this is this is sort of like a running trend throughout the movie, which is how uh, the British government in, in this world um, shapes the narrative of situations. Right. So like mm-hmm. all of the fishes say that the bombing in the coffee shop was done by the British government. But Theo thinks that it's the fishes because in the past the fishes have done bombings. So now what the government is doing is they are doing bombings and pinning it on the fishes. So that way they can sort of instill this, this like authoritarian, like uh, ruling over fear, mm. right? If you, if you keep the people afraid, you can control them, right? Because mm-hmm. you can offer them solutions. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, and, and yeah, that dystopian society, um, you know, yeah, it, it very much reminded me of idiocracy where like the whole world has gone to shit, basically, except instead mm. of the US, it's the UK this time, <laughs> which I thought was interesting, you know? So it's like it's the UK version of idiocracy, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe not on yeah. the same scale, but you know. <laughs> I, I that's one I haven't seen, so I'll Ooh, take it. Ooh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and and if and if you haven't listened to it, go watch it and then listen to uh, the episode mm-hmm. we did on it because it was a great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. But um, but all but the immigration debate was interesting too. So um. This whole immigration debate and, you know, people having to get papers in order to live in the UK, like it has a lot of similarities to the Casablanca episode I did with Tom Merritt. And, you know, of course, that movie is primarily about people trying to get their papers to go live in America instead of, you know, um, like the the little the Casablanca area, like sort of Europe, like Africa sort of region. Um but the idea is the same, though. Like, they're trying to escape another hostile environment, and, you know, they're trying to get, you know, the immigration papers for a, a different purpose in this movie. But it definitely reminded me of that, for sure. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and speaking on the immigration debate, for sure, um, this... It's interesting, um, like I mentioned, like, this... The, the immigration debate is, it, like... It, it's interesting because it takes it to a whole new level in this movie. And it's interesting seeing everyone's kind of, you know, anti-immigration stance going on here, you know, back in like 2006 and 2007. And I think it's fair to say that the immigration in this movie kind of rival. It's fair to say even rivals how bad perhaps immigration is here in the States at right now. And the thing is, I don't know about you, Brant, but Personally, I feel like before before Trump started talking about immigration, you know, whether you agree with his policy or not, it certainly made the issue, I think, a little bit more mainstream than perhaps maybe it had in years past, personally. And, you know, because because people weren't really talking about immigration, I don't think back then, as opposed to now, it's like on everyone's mind now, you know? Well, I, I will say, first of all, I'm. I'm not the most qualified person to talk about this. Sure. Um, but, you know, Im- immigration has been has been a policy talking point for any country at any given point in time. You know, it's it's always a constant thing here in the U.S. 
Um, it has long since been a thing. Um, certainly, certainly, uh, the Trump administration flared up new issues, um, mm-hmm. and continuing issues. Um, but, uh, but you know, th- that what you're experiencing might just be, might just be, uh, you know, m- maybe you started paying attention at around that time. Yeah. Um, that's but, fair. I, but I, yeah, I, I do just want to kind of note that like immigration has long since been a, a, a big talking point. Um, for a lot of different areas at different times. Gotcha. Um, no, no, that's fair. I could see that. Yeah. No. And yeah. And and you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Probably. Yeah. I mean, that was probably you know yeah. T- 2016. I had just I I had just turned 20 at this time. So yeah. So it it was the first. It was around. It wasn't the first time I voted, but it was definitely it was the second time that I voted. So yeah. I probably probably mm-hmm. wasn't it since I was actually paying attention then. Yeah. So yeah. No. I that's fair. I could I can I can understand that for sure. But um, all, yeah. hello. Um, do you know why there's mass immigration in this movie? Uh, it's because um, it's basically because every other society has like like every other country has basically collapsed as a result of this uh, infertility problem. Essentially, is not is what just I infertility. Oh, so. Uh, this movie reminds me of 2001 in a few ways. I listened to some episodes uh, before uh, joining the show so that I could prepare myself. I listened to the 2001 episode. Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> and in that episode, you mentioned uh, how you disliked how that movie did ambiguity. Um, I have a quote here from you uh, that says, uh, basically, when, when a, a filmmaker... Uh, says that the audience needs to interpret for themselves you interpret that as lazy writing mm. now i i have a quote from alfonso Cuaron. okay and his quote says there's a kind of cinema i detest which is a cinema that is about exposition and explanations cinema has become a uh cinema has become now a medium uh what i call a medium for lazy readers it's illustrated stories. You can close your eyes and you can follow the movie. What's the point of seeing the movie? Um, oh. So <laughs> I bring this up because both movies leverage ambiguity as storytelling devices. Mm-hmm. Um, 2000, 2001 is much more... Um, so they use ambiguity differently, though. Um, and yeah. I, I'm wondering if you find this brand of ambiguity more palatable because yeah. 2000. 2001, it uses ambiguity for things like what happens at the end, right? right. And, it's, and it's like, it's a, it's a very direct metaphor where it's like, you're not really, you might not visually be seeing what's actually physically, literally happening. You're seeing a metaphor for something and it's your job to figure out what the metaphor is. Uh-huh. In Children of Men, you see quite directly what is actually explicitly happening, right? Theo has to bring key to this boat. That's the whole movie. There's no confusion about that, but all of the motivations for everybody is mired in ambiguity, right? Yeah. What started the infertility? Why are there mass? Why is there mass immigration? Um, is the humanity project real? We literally don't know by the end of the movie. Yeah, we don't. We, Fair. We, we see the boat, and we have been told that that's the humanity project by somebody who Julian talked to, who is not part of the humanity project. Uh, <laughs> 
it's like a, it's like an in between, like a safety buffer. They sent somebody to talk to her. Interesting. And we're just taking on good faith that they're telling us the truth. Mm, um, okay. So we don't really. There, there are a lot of like kind of unanswered questions. Yeah. But, yeah. But there are some little details sprinkled throughout the movie. So in a scene we just talked about where Theo is uh, captured and held in a box and Mm -hmm. interrogated, loosely interrogated. Mm -hmm. Um, If you pause the scene and you look at the newspapers printed on the wall, you get little details about what happened in this world, such as you might not realize this movie takes place after nuclear war. Oh, (laughs) so uh, Russia bombs Kazakhstan, I believe, and somebody bombs Africa um, with nuclear weaponry. Um, It is. Wow. I I think it is implied that New York was bombed because there's a line where Theo asked Julian if her parents were in New York when it happened. When it happened. Um, Wow. and th- there are all these little these little details, and so uh, mm-hmm. my interpretation is that all of these th- this mass immigration is from largely from you know yes countries that are are affected by the infertility, but also affected by just incredible devastation from nuclear war. I see. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, because. No, this this is actually interesting. I'm I'm glad you. This is this is great. I've I've never been quoted back from a previous episode. This is hmm. a first for me. But yeah, no, it's interesting. And I I obviously I think I ha- I had more problems with 2001 than just that. But but absolutely, sure. you are absolutely right on on that particular point. And yeah, particularly to respond to that particular quote in terms of. You know, I didn't like the fact that 2001 is sort of ambiguous or ambiguous or whatever the word is, Mm -hmm. like where, you know, you're having to interpret things as you go. I think the difference between Children of Men and 2001 is the fact that I, I because 2001 doesn't really give you a whole lot of context clues to work with. Right. And I think that that's the difference. Right. Because you mentioned how like, oh, yes, everything is, you know, you're trying to figure it out, you know, and some stuff are is left unanswered. Right. But there are some context clues that help you that sort of help you out. And I think that that's the difference, because with 2001, especially at the very end, which if you've if you've seen the end of 2001, I won't spoil it on this particular episode. But if you've seen the ending of 2001, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of any context of anything going on at the end of 2001, right? And I yeah. think that's sort of my biggest problem with it, right? Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So, so yeah, I I think I think you're absolutely right. Like, I, but I think that there is a difference between the two movies. So that's so that's what I would say on that yeah. particularly. So, and, and I think um, it's also yeah. I think it's also interesting because it's it's one of these things where it's like when you talk about context, it's like you you might think it's important to know why infertility happened, and you might think it's important to know why the world got to where it is um, just in a vacuum before you see the movie, may, maybe. Um, and and what this movie taught me is it's really important to have reasons for those conflicts, um, 
that the filmmaker, and by filmmaker, I mean the, the, the whole group of creatives who worked on the film, um, it, it's something that they need to have considered because it affects how, uh, it, it affects uh, the motivations of characters, right? And as an audience, I think we can sense when those are consistent. Right. Um, and we, we don't even need to know what the reason for motivating uh, all of these like machinations of how the world ended up in this state. But if they're consistent, we can feel that there's a continuity in that. And it makes mm-hmm. sense to us. We don't have to be explained everything. We just need to know that it, it's, it makes sense to somebody. You right. Know? Yeah. For, well, because about um, on that subject about the human project, you know, right. Because, yeah, because it's assumed that, you know, the human project, because, yeah, I thought originally the human project was sort of like, um, you know, it was supposed to be like maybe a safe space for immigrants at first. Like, I, I thought that was what that meant. But it from the context clues that I have gotten, it bas- basically the way I interpret it is it's a bunch of uh, researchers trying to solve the infertility infertility crisis, and and that's why that's why in my mind it was so important that you know Key and her baby make it through without you know getting caught as illegal immigrants, and that's why Julian is willing to pay five thousand pounds for Theo to get the papers essentially. So hence you got your plot essentially and why we should care as an audience, whether, you know, key makes it or not. Right. Because there's not really much other context clues beyond that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I I feel like we don't even really know exactly how the humanity project is going to accomplish that or Mm -hmm. how it's going to handle anything. We just sort of have the vague promise that like, this is the safest place for this baby to be sure but and and you could also make the argument too that um we don't we don't even need those details so those details are kind of irrelevant for the story in a a way Mm -hmm. you know so so yeah yeah talking about key though here here was my only problem um with key in this movie and it's a very it's a very um you know powerful scene but (laughs) was it really that necessary to completely disrobe in front of theo in order to show him that she's pregnant like lifting up the shirt wasn't an option you know like i just i maybe she was really trying to drive home the point to him or something i don't know like that was really my only minor critique with that scene i don't know so the thing i'll say about this is uh this movie is kind of uh obsessed with like metaphor and allegory and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and seeing that scene in particular while, while maybe uh, just on on a character basis, you might be like, "Oh, well, why? Why? That's not the most convenient way to show off your stomach." Sure. Um, but seeing the scene like visually, it reminds me of like um, paintings from the Romanticism era or something like that. Mm. You know, like almost certainly there's probably some specific painting that this is making reference to that it's trying to be like, "Look, this is like." This is the future of humanity. This is the moment where you're being shown that humanity is not explicitly doomed, that there is some hope here. And so right. they try, they, they like go to efforts to, you know, do it up. So that way there's like, I don't know, there's probably some symbolism there or some sort of sure. reference. Yeah, like me. And, and I almost wonder if it was like a cinematic choice more than it was like a, um, like a, uh, like an actual, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Like a, like an actual logistical reason why they needed to do it that way. Right. Because, because sure. that, that's the thing too, because that's really the important part is the fact that like, because 
they're really trying to drive that home that point because because Theo is obviously of the mindset of like, well, well, what the hell? Like, why? Why do I need to help this particular woman? Like, why? Why do I need mm-hmm. to help her in particular? Right? There's hundreds of people who are presumably in trouble, right? But it's the fact that she's pregnant and the fact that she is presumably the only woman who is pregnant in this entire universe, right? Like that's what is important, right? And so yeah. it, so it's probably more cinematic, a cinematic choice more than it is like a logistical choice, I guess, right? Yeah, just some sort of creative decision. Sure, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although um, I did find it hilarious a little bit that... Uh, because uh, Theo uh, is inquiring about the the baby some more, and um, and I love how uh, Key at first was just kind of like she's in, she's like, no, I'm a virgin, and I couldn't help but think it, this is like a Virgin Mary situation, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Again, they love allegory and metaphor and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, like, of course, they're gonna throw that in. Yeah, right. I think, I think I think the original book has a lot more like religious overtones and stuff. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I, I never read it myself, but I think I think there's also some of that that is kind of uh, uh, you know permeated through the movie version as well. Gotcha. That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. But appar- but also apparently she uh, she th- th- that's the part that's crazy too is that like th- th- it's the first baby um, like known to anyone for like like there's no other babies and this is apparently the only one and it and she, it was like do you know who the daddy is and she's like fuck if i know <laughs> apparently she gets around you know <laughs> i mean if the whole if all of humanity is infertile like you you kind of get a little loose with it you know you could yeah you true do whatever you want kind of yeah uh, fair point yeah yep touche touche <laughs> so uh, speaking on that you know like not everything is explained and we just have to assume things of course um so the two things that um the I, I say that we have to assume, but at least what I assume anyway, is this um caregiver who is um sort of like I, I kind of describe this caregiver and I and I forget her name for the life of me, but Miriam. Miriam, thank you. But and Miriam is sort of kind of like the um I guess you could say is like the nurse, sort of like the caretaker of key, basically is is what I'm getting at, you know, like she obviously has experience yeah. with, with that stuff. Right. She, she, she was a midwife when, um, when the infertility hit, when the flu hit. Gotcha. So she, she was a career taking care of pregnant ladies and making sure that they have healthy babies. Got it. Yeah. 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 That makes sense then. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but it's interesting. Um, like the, with, like, because, it's it's interesting because she gets singled out on the um on that bus because Theo and her and Key all are in this like you know immigration bus after you know because they're trying to you know basically get through the system and her uh, her and one other person were just kind of like random seemingly randomly called out by the guards um and then they just let all the other immigrants just go on by but that that was that part didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me it's like why was she singled out and and taken off the bus you know yeah so this this definitely plays into the sort of like ambiguity um of the movie where it's like this happens and they don't explicitly tell you why it happens i can i can create an interpretation for why i think that happened mm-hmm. um which is sort of two things 
Um, one is as soon as they get off the bus, you see you see like some signage that basically says like, "Hey, don't don't support terrorists." Um, so it could be that they are screening people for somebody who they think might end up in this refugee camp and then fighting back to get out or something like that. So mm. they might be trying to find somebody who could cause some sort of turmoil in the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're isolating these people and presumably killing them. Um, yeah. Some people we see explicitly dead, um, but a lot of them are kind of lined up. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and yeah, and that's sort of the other thing we have to kind of sort of imply that, yeah, because she gets uh, taken to that. Yeah, like you said, that line of people there. And then the as the bus sort of like travels through, you see sort of like a, a few dead bodies um, going past mm-hmm. there. And so I would have to assume that she probably died with the rest of those people. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a fair implication. Yeah. Um, but but also we have, you know, we see signs throughout the movie of the British government being authoritarian and mm-hmm. ruling through fear. Um, and one way to keep everybody on edge is to have random selections of people and execute them. Right. You don't know if you're going to be next. Um, and so it seemed like, you know, when when key uh, when 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 key her her water breaks um, mm-hmm. and the guy is inquiring, hey, what's wrong with her? Right. Um, it, it seems like it might be easier just to get her off the bus and take her out mm-hmm. than let her cause issues with the refugees. But then Miriam gets in the way and she starts praying. Um, and I, I suspect this is an effort on her part to make herself a bigger target. Right. So that way the guard will focus on her instead of key. So she's right. sort of sacrificing herself so that the baby might be able to make it through. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, when you think about that, yeah, that's that's super powerful when you think about that for sure. Um mm-hmm. the other the other thing that I have to assume is that Theo is probably dead. I mean, at the very end, he um he, like we don't know like we don't know until like the very end that he um he finally reveals that he himself got hit too by presumably one of the bullets that were flying around in that fight at the very end, it, which to be honest, like I, I, I would be surprised if he didn't get hit because of the amount of bullets that were just flying in that, um, in that fight sequence. Right. And, but it's never really confirmed whether he's dead or not. Like the, the, the only indication that we know that things are, turning around is at the very end while the credits are rolling you hear children just laughing in the background which i have to assume probably means that not only did key and her um and her child make it but also that um by by the fact that she made it the fact that um there are other kids who are laughing so obviously something was resolved right even though they didn't necessarily say it right yeah, so a couple of things. One, we see Theo, we explicitly see him get shot. So when he mm-hmm. finds Key and he starts leaving, uh, Luke, uh, the guy who became the new leader of the fishes, he shoots him and we see uh, Theo like flinch and kind of fall back against the wall. It's a really quick moment, but that's when he mm. gets shot. Um, you're right. We don't know for sure whether he's dead. It's sort of implied that he's dead. Um, at the very least, we know for sure that he's bleeding profusely and he's lost consciousness right another another thing we know is that the tomorrow is a medical ship uh they they have 
medical people there. That's part of the reason why they want to get key there. Mm-hmm. So you could maybe theorize that like, well, if they got there fast enough, maybe he hadn't died yet. Maybe they could stitch him up, do a blood yeah. transfusion, something like that. So it's not 100% explicit, but in, in my head, Dio dies there. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, yeah, I guess you could I guess you could have a theory that yeah, like you said maybe um maybe they were able to give him medical assistance in time. Yeah, I I guess you 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 could honestly make that argument too. Like I I don't think yeah. it's I don't think any uh, I don't think those two opinions can both be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like I I mm. because yeah, cuz because of the fact that it's not explicitly mentioned. Yeah, uh, honestly, I wouldn't fault anyone for having that theory as well that maybe they were able to save him because they had that medical team there. So that's the beauty of media studies. Everybody can be right as long as you think about it hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they, they, they end the movie with the title sequence or the, the, the title card and then the, the, the sound of children laughing. Um, this could be interpreted two different ways, you know, media studies, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I think the popular interpretation is probably going to be, Hey, they made it. Uh, they've figured out infertility and now people are able to have kids again. This is the sound of the future. This is the hope of humanity. Mm-hmm. You could also interpret it as this is the sound of what we have lost. This is, you know, Theo dies. Hope is meager. Maybe Key gets out alive. Maybe the ship is part of the humanity project. And this is this is what we've lost in the process leading up to that. This is this is like a ghost sound. This is a sound of the kids that we don't have anymore. Oh, damn. Um, okay. So <laughs> yeah. if, if you if you wanted to have like a nihilistic view of it, I think there's room for that interpretation. That's yeah. not what I believe. Yeah. I, 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 I believe they cured it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, but I, I guess if you you're a both. sadist, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I still don't understand. There's one thing I still don't understand. This guy that was trying to get like Theo and Key out of that room that they were staying in the morning, like, um, well, because Sid, the cop. Yeah, I yeah, was it Sid the cop that was trying to get them out? Like, yeah, I still Mm -hmm. didn't quite under because, yeah, was he like just harassing Key and that's what caused all this like craziness to happen? Like, I I still don't quite understand that scene. Yeah, uh-huh. so he smuggled them into the refugee camp because he knows Jasper. Right. He's friends with Jasper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he'll do he'll do a favor for Jasper. But then when he gets back home, he's watching TV with his mom who's dying of cancer. Um, and he hears on the news, hey, there's these two people I just smuggled in. There's Theo and there's Key. Um, so he finds out that they are being labeled as cop killers. Because uh, they were in the car when those cops were shot by Luke, and oh, so yeah. there's there's a government reward or something to that effect. They're wanted by the government for being cop killers. But then he also hears that uh, the fishes are breaking into the refugee camp, and that they want both of them. So he goes, "Well, hey, if the cops want you and the fugitive terrorist people want you." You're a high commodity. I could get a lot of money from you from any given number of sources. So he breaks in to take them hostage, basically, so that he could get a payday. Aha. I see. Okay. Yeah. That was the detail Mm -hmm. that I missed uh, was the fact that he saw that they were on the news. Okay. That makes more sense now. Okay. 
Got it. Yeah, yeah because he, he mentions that very briefly as they're going down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah, and that's the thing too. It's like yeah, a lot of that stuff that I will have missed was was those small little like two second things that if you blink you miss type of things. So yeah, that's yeah, that's good. No, and this that, movie is full of those. There's there's yeah. so many little details that like I pick up on my third or fourth or fifth watch or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um. Some other things that I mean, you mentioned Jasper. Like, I love mm-hmm. Jasper, man. I love that character, man. Like, for, like from the fact that he's a weed dealer to that crazy alarm burglary system he has set up at his house to that real fast music vibe change when he's talking to Theo towards the beginning to pulling quite literally, uh, by the way, the oldest trick in the book where he farts after you pull the finger type of thing. Like, I, at first, when I saw that, I was like, okay, what is this, like, five-year-old humor here? What's going on? Um, and, and it's like, I almost, like, it almost would have been more funny if they actually put the put a fart sound in there. I know that, like, you know, they were trying to make it more serious, so I guess it was a silent but deadly type of situation. But, um, but it turns out, like, you think that's just kind of like a throwaway line, but it turns out that he, uh, that he dies doing the same thing. Um, to those you know to the fishes who are looking for theo and key right and um uh i don't know why jasper really thought the pull pull my finger trick wasn't going to get him shot though like i'm just like mm-hmm. what what was his what was his goal there you know <laughs> okay so this is this is another thing of like small details kind of build up the story a little bit mm-hmm. so um you see you see around his house he has this package of quietness which uh, is mentioned a few times throughout the movie. It's shown on one of the TV screens during an ad. Um, it is a government-funded suicide kit um, because things are so bad that they're like, hey, if you just want to die peacefully, here you go. Wow, um, yeah. So he has that in his house, and that's why there's a, there's a scene where Theo walks up on Jasper and thinks he's dead because he's like, did you, did you take these suicide pills? Um, and so there's a small detail where when the fishes interrogate Jasper out in front of his house, they mention that they found a dead woman and a dog. So we know when he has that quiet moment with his wife, Janice, um, he gives her the kit. He gives her the pills. He kills her quietly and peacefully mm-hmm. because he presumably, you know, my interpretation, he understands that the fishes are not going to accept anything he has to say to them. Mm-hmm. Right, they are going to extract every ounce out of him that they can, and that'll probably result in his death because it's that important. It's the only pregnancy in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like, if I die, and they don't kill Janice, you know she she's been tortured. She's incapable of taking care of herself. He is he is her caretaker. Right. Um, he is he is her entire support system. Um, and so she'll sit there and starve. So he's like, I have to kill you now because that's the merciful thing to do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's not clear whether he kills the dog or not. They they say they found a dead woman and dog. They don't say they found a dead woman and a dead dog, but mm. it, it's sort of ambiguously worded. So he might've killed the dog too. Um, but then now you're looking at a man who finally sees that Theo, somebody he cares deeply about and has known for a long time, it's not clear how long, it's not even clear what their relationship is, right? Is Jasper his dad? Is Janice his mom? We don't know. Yeah, we don't really Are, know, yeah. <laughs> is is he an uncle? Is he just like a family friend? 
you you don't know, but we do know that they've known each other for a long time. And yeah. he sees that Theo, somebody who he understands is a good person who has given up on things over time. He has seen the decline of Theo over the years. Now he's fighting for something and for something really fucking important. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I will do everything in my power to give you just that little advantage. So he sees, he sees this good. And then he also doesn't really have a whole lot to live for because he just killed his wife. Yeah. um, Who's been married to for decades. And so I think he is sitting there and he's like, I'm not going to give them any information, but I'm going to do whatever I can to stall them just a little bit more. Right. Although it does, it does. It's interesting to me though, the fact that Theo wants to stick around and witness it happen though, (laughs) instead of like, instead of, you know, I don't know, escaping, <laughs> right? He, he like, doesn't he doesn't really take advantage of the opportunity Josh, right? Jasper is giving him. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's that was that did seem a little off, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I get the fact that he wants to make sure that Jasper is okay, but also get the hell out of there, dude. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but um also, uh, it, it, the, speaking of escaping, um, that was the funniest moment in this whole film to me. Like, because Theo and the and the gang are trying to escape in that vehicle that won't start, and so they're mm-hmm. rolling down the hill, and this, and, and one of the fishes actually catches up to the car. He has his gun out. He's about to shoot him, but he has to confirm with the rest of them whether he should shoot or not. It's like, do I do I shoot him? I've, I've got him right here. Do I shoot him? And then that simple mistake um, costs his life, like, or at least his consciousness. I'm like, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> well, uh, you you have to you have to think about the scene that happened just before that, or the beginning of the scene. Okay, right? he right. is he is indoors, and Luke is talking to him, and he holds a gun to his head, and he says, "If you break protocol one more time, I will have to kill you." Mm-hmm. Um, so in this moment. That is fresh on his mind. That happened five minutes ago, maybe less. So he he has been told not to shoot. So he gets himself in an opportunity where he can shoot, and he's asking for permission because he doesn't want to break protocol. He doesn't want to die. But the funny thing is, is that the same thing happens to him during the uh, the the car chase scene or whatever, um, where he is on a motorcycle um, when they kill Julian. Oh, and that's the, the same motor- guy. That's the same guy. So he's riding that motorcycle, which is why he shows up on that same motorcycle. Uh-huh. Um, but he drove up to the side of the car and they opened the car oh, door. Oh, yeah. And, and it flipped over. So the same thing happens to him. That's so really funny. funny. Yeah. I mm-hmm. know. Ne- I didn't even realize that. Oh, my God. That, oh, that makes it even funnier. That's great. <laughs> my, my favorite funny little moment is also from that scene where they're trying to escape in the car where uh theo is like doing his little little detective like secret agent like crawling yeah, next to mm-hmm. the cars trying to be all quiet and uh he opens up a car door and he's like trying to like mess with something and then somebody starts talking and he stands up and he's like hey uh <laughs> and uh they were talking to somebody else and as soon as he realizes it he has to duck down really fast so he doesn't get caught again and it's just like this really like awkward moment that feels really genuine and authentic that I don't know that I've ever seen in another movie. I'm sure somebody's done it, but it's uh it's one of these things where you're trying to be sneaky and you think you've been found, but you haven't been found, and mm-hmm. you have to course correct really fast. I, I thought that was very fun. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> I love I also loved uh Theo and and his ex uh Julia. It's like they're kind of dynamic, by the way. Um 
especially when they're on the bus and they start having one of those arguments amongst themselves that, you know, couples who I, I guarantee you they've had the, those same arguments before because, you know, obviously they're they're no longer together. Right. And, you know, and they're always and they're arguing about something, you know, it's like, oh, I you always used to do this or like and they're going back and forth, back and forth. And then she just stops and just walks off the bus because and, and he he, he turns she turns around and is like we're here this is the destination <laughs> like that was the, the greatest sort of like you know um what's the word like the not double entendre that's not what I'm thinking of but uh but you know what I mean like it's like it's like you think she's just storming off and taking off and leaving them there and it's like no we're here <laughs> and like that's what stops the argument that's that was great. Yeah, it's a fun little fun little hint at the the complexity of their relationship, right? They're two people who clearly still love each other very much, but they also have things to work through that are unresolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's that's just a fun little fun little interaction. Yeah, for sure. I get that this was part of the plan, but that w- that was a very sick joke when the cops arrive at this abandoned school. Um, like, I get that "you're a pig" was the password, but that was still insane. It's like he's still like. What'd you say? What'd you say? Nah, I'm just playing with you. Like he's he's ready to like you know hit him with the with his club. I think it was that he had in his hand, and he's just like he's like, what did you say to me? What'd you say to me? Oh oh no oh yeah, I'm just playing with you, right? <laughs> yeah, I I think that is a really good bit of foreshadowing where it shows you like his character. He doesn't understand. He he is a uh, uh, a member of. The authoritarian military structure. He is a police officer working for the government. Um, in in this system, he's in a bad system, and bad systems cause people to do bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that is that is a hint that he doesn't understand that it is cruel to exploit that power dynamic he has for a joke. That is not a funny joke. Um, and so that is like a clue early on to go. Hey, maybe don't trust this guy. He thinks yeah. he's just playing around, but he has power and he's willing to abuse it. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> the other thing too that um that I I caught on a little bit um like cuz cuz they go to this abandoned building and I at first I was trying to think like is this a hospital? Is this a school? No, this is definitely a school. And I'm thinking like why would there be an abandoned school? Oh, cuz there's no kids, so there wouldn't be need be a need for a school. That's why it's abandoned. <laughs> like i i yeah. uh that was that was like a neat little detail that i'm glad that they uh i'm glad that they put that in there because that totally makes sense so but uh yeah, but yeah. and in, in my mind that's like that's that's a big factor in um the sort of the sort of rising conflicts in the world of children of men because it's like if, if everybody's having miscarriages that's like a a a really personal like in the moment kind of issue but as soon as you start seeing the last wave of humanity track through life, mm-hmm. it becomes like really high pressure. Like when we think about when we think about uh, climate change, mm-hmm. um, that's something where it's like, oh, this is going to affect people 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 mm-hmm. years from now. It's always a little bit oh, at, at the edge of your length. But when you start seeing like, oh, there are no more fifth graders. Yeah. This is the last year there will ever be a sixth grader. Next year is the last year there will ever be a seventh grader. And then schools start shutting down, like elementary schools. We don't have a need for them anymore. Yeah. High schools. 
we don't have a need for them anymore. We got to close them down. And you just see like that, that last wave of humanity cross through these thresholds that we associate with like adolescence and like life milestones. And it's like, man, that's the, that's the last time anybody's going to ever experience that. Yeah, um, dude, that's, that's very true. Yeah. So Brant, I saved the best for last here because uh, when we were talking about what movie we were going to cover on this show, um, you presented to me two, um, two options, this being one of them. And I decided on this one because because uh, you were telling me how good the cinematography is in this movie. And I wanted a movie where we could talk about that particular aspect, because I know you being a filmmaker, like you've done some insane shoots for not only Modern Rogue, but for your own channel emergent beacon so and you were not lying like this cinematography was absolutely impressive like like, talk me through this yeah it's a it's it's a really interestingly shot movie um they use a lot of natural lighting um the average shot length is a bit longer than what you would typically expect you know when you talk about uh blockbuster hollywood movies you're gonna have on average two to five seconds uh per shot uh, mm-hmm. uh, over the course average over the course of the whole movie. Um, Children of men is like 16 seconds. Um, so it's quite a bit longer. Uh, it's, it's by no means the longest. There are some movies out there with like 40 seconds per shot or something. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But, but you, you, you would, you would feel the difference. Uh, those would be much slower paced movies. I would, I would expect. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, well, one of the, one of the big, Features that everybody talks about when they talk about this movie is the long takes, um, which are deeply impressive technical feats. Yeah. Um, well, and and there are three of them in particular, right? There there are three scenes that are like that in this movie. Like, yeah, like you said, like th- it's on a single camera in one continuous shot, and I don't mean one continuous shot in the sense of you know, like oh, it's like a, you know, it's like a fifty second or a minute type of thing. Like I'm talking like um like the two that stand out to me, right. Are the ones where Theo wakes up from his nap in the car. Right. And they, um, and, and they're driving along, um, toward, you know, trying to get the papers for key. Right. And then all of a sudden the rebels, like just start attacking the car. And I love how fast it, it escalates. Like it goes from them having like, you know, seemingly a regular road trip, having a grand old time, like, um, Theo and Julian are doing like that, you know, hey, they're doing that like um, ping pong ball trick that they've always done. You know, like it, that's it, it feels like a regular road trip to it escalating so fast to like, oh, they're now being attacked. And Theo's ex just got shot to death, like just like that, like within the span of a few seconds. And that shot keeps going for so long, right? Like it's two minutes long. And it's so impressive how they were able to do that entire sequence in seemingly one take, right? Yeah, it's a uh, that that shot in particular is is burned into my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that it will ever leave it. It is such an incredible accomplishment. Um, and if you see some of the behind the scenes footage, it's really interesting that uh, the the way they accomplished that is they had basically a camera held on a remote system that could that could look wherever it wanted and it could move on kind of a grid system. That was mm. replacing the roof of the car, um, and so on top of the roof, you have the director and the camera uh, guy, and you know you have like five people on the roof, 
Um, and then the front of the car is basically chopped off, and there's some guy there. It, if you look at it, it looks like the from like the door handles up a normal car um, mm. with like a weird thing on top. But from underneath it, it looks like a go kart. There's like there's like a little guy like driving out in front, like right at the road. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it's uh, and then they also do a lot of things in that shot with like seats that can move um, back and forth and like lean back so that way they can get the camera in the right spot. Uh, beautifully. Mm choreographed shot mm-hmm. um and uh the 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 thing i really want to highlight about this is that uh these types of shots these these really long shots sometimes they're called plan sequences um and they are used to beautiful effect to highlight in this movie they're used to highlight violence the most violent moments in these movies are long takes mm-hmm. um with with <clears throat> With one exception, there's one long take that's not super violent, but most right. of them are quite violent. And so they use these long takes to control tension. Mm-hmm. So in this sort of car ambush sequence, we, uh, we, we kind of lull ourselves into comfort and then we heighten the danger. And now we're trapped in this car. The, the camera stays in this car. It's very claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's you know, we use that to hide and reveal different details that will uh, keep ebbing and flowing the tension to keep the viewers interested. And then it's not until they totally escape danger uh, after uh, Luke kills the cops that the camera even exits the car. And then that's when we finally get a little bit of a sigh of relief once the situation has toned down. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the thing about these long takes is that Throughout this movie, they're they're not all exactly as they are depicted, right? They're stitched together different shots Mm -hmm. um, using some VFX and using some really smart planning um, and camera movement. But the the thing that these shots do is they take into consideration logistics. Mm -hmm. Um, So logistics is something that resonates deeply with me. So here, what what you could do um, is, you know, uh, there's there's a sequence later where Theo has to run into a building, um, and right. there you you know in in a long take getting around the edge of a different building is like a challenge. You have yeah. to you have to run across an open expanse um, where there is gunfire. You could be hit, so you have to find cover. And if you're doing a long take. You have to show all of it. You have to show the logistics of a character getting from one place to another place. And that is difficult. There's there's time involved in that. There's a lot of angles of opportunity involved in that. And so logistics are interesting because they are kind of creative constraints. If you need a person to do something, getting somewhere is tough. Yeah. Um, and, and long takes have to show all of that because it's unbroken. Right. So there's a lot of tension that comes from that. There's a lot of conflict that comes from that. And it's also just really satisfying to see. Well, yeah, true. Yeah. And and that and that other scene that you're talking about, yeah, with the well, the whole like the enemy fire and like the tank there, which I thought was crazy too. Mm-hmm. It's like that was insane. And yeah, that was the other one that stood out to me too. And in that particular scene too, one of the things that's interesting, um, and Wabbit actually pointed this out when we were in the watch party. You actually see um, during that long take that there's some blood that splatters onto the lens at one point. I mean, obviously it wasn't blood. It was like 
you know, red dye or whatever, right? But the point is, is that it got onto the lens, right? And in fact, the director actually had called cut at this particular moment, but because no one could hear him, like it, like it was so loud during that scene, no one could actually hear him say cut. So they just kept going and, and they thought it was so good that they actually left it in, which I think actually kind of added more to the story. The fact that they left that gaff in, like, I thought that was actually, um, cool. And, and, you know, we wouldn't have had that, you know, like it, it was one of those things that wouldn't have happened unless it just happened there, like naturally in the moment. Right. And I think it was perfect. Right. Yeah. So they, they sort of model the, the visual aesthetic of this movie after, uh, sort of a documentarian style, um, even though these days documentaries are actually very polished. Um, but there are certain certain traits that we kind of associate with documentaries, right? Like, um, like uh, so many of the shots throughout this movie are handheld, uh, yeah. which you don't mm-hmm. see much in like big budget movies. No, but, no. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that is obscured because we don't have cuts, so it's all one perspective. Um, and when you shoot something documentary, a lot of times things happen extemporaneously. Something happens that you don't account for, that you don't plan for. Um, and speaking from experience, whenever you get little moments like that where something just lines up that you couldn't have expected, mm-hmm. it's beautiful and you love to see it on the movie. And it's something that, you know, it, if you wanted to, you could plan having a squib on an actor that is pointed at the camera that if you timed it right, might get on the lens or something. If you Mm -hmm. wanted, you could plan that happening. You could. Yeah. So, so much could go wrong. It would be so tough to actually do. Mm -hmm. So when it just happens circumstantially, Mm -hmm. uh, it's so serendipitous and it's like, man, you just, you just have to leave that in because that is, you were just, you were in a way it is documentary and you were documenting, a thing that just happened. Right. Um, and and that could conceivably happen if something like that were happening in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that, that is something that I could totally see happening. Like, you know, just, but yeah, blood getting on some, but because, because, because the way I see it, it's like, you're kind of like, you're in effect in that scene yourself, kind of like, it's an, like, it's a POV sure. perspective kind of in that regard. Right. And I could totally see that happening if this if this scene were actually happening in real life. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's why I think it's so good that they left that gaff in there. So yeah, it's 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 like you're watching uh, footage from a conflict zone, like war right. coverage of mm-hmm. something. Like a photojournalist is in there getting video footage, and yeah, that stuff happens, and it really lends to sort of the authenticity of that moment. I think. absolutely yes, yes, and uh, yeah, and and the last one that was kind of a continuous scene you mentioned that this was the non-violent of the of the one mm-hmm. so this was this was really nice uh but the baby delivery scene um was was another one that was one continuous shot by the way and very beautiful scene um i have to imagine too that like because i was thinking throughout this entire movie like it's it's got to be tough in general to pull off a movie or like a series or any or something where one of the actors like where one of the actors is not only pregnant but that is sort of the central storyline going on because you presumably only have a limited time to film because of the fact that, well, you know, the actor will presumably give birth IRL at some point too. Right. So, so that was, so I thought that that was an interesting, like sort of, um, you know, scene and just, it was such a beautiful moment. Right. Yeah. I, I, I 
I doubt that that actor was actually pregnant at the time. Mm. Um, I'm sure that was probably prosthetics and stuff. Oh, interesting. Um, Okay, yeah. Just because, you know, uh, filming takes the course of multiple months. It's tough to keep a pregnant woman looking nine months pregnant for two months, you know, three months. Although, although they, Um, I know they have, there are definitely some instances where they actually have, you know, sure. Yeah, that, that, that actually they actually have been pregnant. But yeah, the fair enough. Yeah, I, I, yeah absolutely. Still still um, beautiful though, right? Yeah, and, and that that shot in particular apparently uh was not planned to be a one take shot. They decided oh. on the day of the shoot to do a one take. Oh so interesting. Okay. If you if you want to know what kind of chops they're flexing over there where they're like, hey, yeah, today we're just gonna do a four minute uh shot uh intricately layered with this dog that has to like be timed to run out at the right time. Mm-hmm. And we have to like get the camera to show these things. Yeah. It's, it's super impressive. Yeah, man. Um, absolutely. There's, there's also one, uh, one extra long take that, that you might've forgotten, which is the opening scene in the coffee Ooh, shop. Okay. It is a long take. It's, it's not, it's not as long as some of these. It's probably like a minute and a half long or something. Sure. Sure. But it is like, it is like the third shot in the entire movie is a long take, which leads into the explosion. Oh of the yeah. Coffee shop. Oh yeah. That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, which is a hell of a way to start the movie. Right. Yeah. Because he leaves the coffee shop. Yeah. Cause he leaves the coffee shop and as he's walking, there's an explosion that happens. And yeah, that's a, that's all a one take as well. That's right. Mm-hmm. I completely forgot about yeah. that. That is very much them saying, Hey, this is the type of movie we're making. Yeah, man. That's yeah. No, it definitely sets the, sets the mood for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Having said all of that, it's time to give uh, it's time to give our final ratings for this movie. Uh, Brant, I think I can guess what you're going to give this uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. And uh, I'm going to also give it a thumbs up as well. I like the cinematography is amazing. Like you were talking about, like, I love the concept of this movie, you know, despite how morbid of a topic it was. But overall, like it was just great storytelling. I enjoyed it so much, and um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I think this is a, uh, I, I think this might have changed my opinion about uh, movies that are. Well, actually, you know what? I mean, I, I, I think it might, it might not have changed my opinion, but at least it. I think what it does is it proves that it can work, like movies that you know, don't explain everything. Right. I, I think it was just that one aspect of 2001 that I didn't like for sure. So <laughs> hey, that's, that's progress. We're just exposing you to more, uh, <laughs> more experiences. You know, you can see that there's a diverse way to, to make these kinds of films and to have different experiences as a viewer. Absolutely, man. Well, Brant, uh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for uh, joining yeah. me for this episode. And um, Brant, tell the tell the good folks where they can find more of your work. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash Emergent Beacon. That's a show that I make where I think hard about questions that I don't know the answer to. And I do some research. And I try to explain to you what uh, I didn't understand. And then I try to explain to you how I came to understand it. So it's like, little research projects I post two or three times a year. So I'm not going to flood you with, with notifications or anything, but I think it's a really beautiful show that means a tremendous amount to me. And I would love if you would watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to see things I post casually online, you can go to cohost.org slash Brant. Um, that's just, that's where I post these days since I don't do Twitter so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, and yeah, if you want to chat with me in real time, I guess you could do discord.emergentbeacon.com. Right on, man. And yeah, I hadn't heard of uh, cohost.org. Is this sort of like a um, like a blogging platform or a Mastodon instance? Yeah. What is this? Yeah, so it's it's a little bit more long form blog. Some people compare it to Tumblr. Um, oh, okay, okay. It, it's uh it's really cool because uh you could do uh inline CSS in your post. So there's oh, a lot of okay. flexibility about what you could do. You could do a little bit of like interactive posts and stuff. It's 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 a lot of fun. Interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll have to check that out. That's really cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh cohost.org slash brand again if you want to check that out. Yeah, I that's a new platform. I've never heard of it. So mm-hmm. so uh yeah, uh that's great, man. All right. And uh, I do a watch party for each of the movies that we review on this show. If you want to watch the movie with myself and fellow listeners, you can join um, the conversation in our Discord over at discord.cinemavention.com. But if you can't make it to the watch party, don't you worry, because if you're a supporter over at patreon.com slash is one you get all the watch parties available on demand exclusively. And it also helps support the show. So thank you so much to everybody who supports over there. And I am live twice a week playing games with the community on my Twitch. You can check that out over at twitch.tv slash is one If you have thoughts about this movie we discussed today, send in your emails over at email at cinemavention.com and see all the previous movies we've covered on this show at cinemavention.com. There's also a link over there to subscribe and your favorite podcatcher of choice. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music for this show. You can check him out at incompetech.com. Next week, folks, uh, we are going to be talking about Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel with Samuel Lewis. That is going to be a very fun movie. I can't wait to talk to him about that movie. It's going to be so much fun. I hope that you will be there for that conversation. Until then, we'll see you next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 